Well, good morning. It is a great privilege to speak God's Word to you this morning as Pastor Craig and Kathy are traveling and being refreshed. So thank you for extending that opportunity to me. If you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you do not have a Bible, there should be one in the pew rack there in front of you. Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi because he loved them. God had specifically called Paul to preach the gospel in Philippi and plant the church there during his second missionary journey. Paul now writes from a Roman prison to encourage them in the faith, but also to address false teaching and issues of disunity. The theme of the letter is working together for the progress of the gospel in unity and joy. Let me say that again, working together for the progress of the gospel in unity and joy. The progress of the gospel has a saving effect in the lives of people, and it does a sanctifying work in the lives of Christ followers. Why might we be concerned about gospel progress? Well, gospel progress brings about more worship of God, more exaltation of Christ. And as you know, that's the answer to the first question of the Westminster Catechism. Our chief end is to bring more glory to God. So please join me in standing as I read God's Word, Philippians chapter 2. Verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. You may be seated. Join me as as I pray for our time together. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you that your word, it itself, is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. It shows us the way, the way to live righteously, the way to be in right standing with our Creator, to know our Savior. Father, I pray that you would help me as the preacher this morning to speak your word in truth, to speak it clearly and without error. And Lord, give us the hearts to receive the message that you have for us this morning. May it take root in our hearts. And Father, by your spirit, help us to respond appropriately. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. With regard to gospel progress, verse 12 tells you what you and I must do to make this progress happen. Verse 13 tells us what motivates us and enables us to this work of gospel progress. Verse 14, the way in which we are to work for this progress. Verse 16, the sanctification that we have in this progress. Verse 17, the unity we find in this work of gospel progress. And finally, verse 18, the joy that we experience in the progress of the gospel. Now, if you were listening, you noticed that I skipped verse 15. Verse 15 is the focus of the passage. 
There's a profound truth statement here, and it's how gospel progress happens. We live in a crooked and perverse world, a world of darkness, and we who are saved must be lights in this world, lights that dispel the darkness. A single light does not only have a bright appearance, it does not simply have light, it shines forth to dispel darkness. It gives out light. In the same way, a follower of Jesus should not just look like a light, an attractive appearance of a decorative light, but one who appears religious and seems to be a good and moral person. No, no, a follower of Jesus should be an effective light, a brightly shining light, one who brings the light of Christ everywhere he or she goes. We are challenged today to be effective gospel witnesses, lights that dispel the spiritual darkness. In the text today, we're going to see that there are three commands that we hear from the Apostle Paul. Work out your salvation, prove your salvation, and rejoice in your salvation. So beginning in verses 12 through 13, Paul addresses the church at Philippi as beloved. He is their, they are his dear friends. Paul encourages the believers at Philippi, commending them for ministry done well. They've been adhering to the scriptures. They've been demonstrating their love for their Lord while Paul is present and when he's not there. It's interesting that Paul throws that in there. You know, words have meaning, and he wrote those words for a purpose. Because as human beings, sometimes we behave situationally. I think back to my childhood when I was in grade school, and I was not always the same child in the classroom while the teacher was outside the classroom as when she was in the classroom. My situation had a bearing on what my behavior looked like. The thing Paul is saying is the Philippians' behavior was consistent. They consistently showed love for, for God and love for the people around them. Yet Paul does write to challenge the Christians at Philippi. There are some issues here. And so in verse 12, we, we learned that salvation requires work. It requires work. It requires your work. I should probably preface that by saying we cannot work for our salvation. Even if we tried on our very best day, we could not earn our salvation. In fact, the definition of salvation literally means having been rescued. We read in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. So Paul doesn't say to work for your salvation. He says to work out your salvation. Work out meaning to put into practice in their daily living. Provide evidence of their salvation. Now we can read that individually as the natural meaning, but I think he's also speaking to them corporately. In light of the issues that we would read about, if we turn back to, to page, uh, the, the, the previous page, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The church at Philippi, the individual Christians, have a responsibility to one another in the church. And so there's a corporate command here for them to work out their salvation together. And they're to do that, as the text says, with fear and trembling, a sense of awe for who God is. And not only just a, a fear of who he is because he is all-powerful, 
but a complete trust in God that he is going to bless the work that they do as they are working out their salvation. Now, I enjoy working out. And our youngest son just graduated from college this past spring, and when he was home on breaks or in the summer, we would work out together. Now, I had a birthday this past week, and I won't tell you how old I am, but when I work out, it's for overall fitness and to maintain my health. When my son works out, it's to build muscle, to get stronger. There's a difference in how we work out. But the reality is, it still takes a commitment. However you work out, you have to intentionally do it. You have to put yourself into the moment and apply effort. You have to make a commitment. And so the point here is that gospel progress depends upon you working out your salvation, making that commitment to live out the gospel as God has called you to do so. But the good news is we see in verse 13 that God works in our salvation. God works in our salvation. We don't have to do this alone in our own strength. That is the good news. There's divine enablement and human responsibility that come together to make gospel progress possible. The text tells us that God gives us the will to work, the will to work. He works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God works. The verb there in the original Greek text is energeo, energeo. We get our English word energy from that word. God gives us the energy to work out our salvation. He does this work in us for his good pleasure. When you repent of sin, when you submit your life to Christ, God declares you righteous. But God does not simply place a metaphorical crown on your head that says righteous. 1 John 3 tells us that we're to practice righteousness. In other words, literally do righteousness, meaning the righteousness of Christ is to extend to every part of who we are. Every aspect of our lives, the gospel should be present. The righteousness that that Christ has given us as he took our unrighteousness to the cross and gave us his righteousness, that should extend to every aspect of who we are. So gospel progress is possible when God gives you the ability. He enables you to live righteously. Not only are we to work out our salvation, but we are to prove our salvation. Now, when you think of proving something, typically, normally, I think of like a a courtroom, a a legal setting where sufficient evidence needs to be given. A, A certain series of facts need to be presented to someone to prove something to someone. Demonstrating something is true. That's actually not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying we need to prove something for someone. Prove something for someone. So we're demonstrating something is true, but we're demonstrating something is for you. We're doing this before a watching world. And how do we do that? Verse 14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. It's easy to grumble, right? It's easy to complain. We look back to the Old Testament. We look at the Israelites as the Lord led them out of Egypt. They complain. They grumble. Why did you bring us out in the desert to die? As he provided for his people, he gave them manna to to eat every single day, and they complained because they had to eat the same meal every day. They were rejecting God's provision. 
We don't dispute, right? I hope we don't dispute within the body of Christ. I hope we don't argue like the world. That's what Paul is telling us not to do. Do not take legal action against one another as you live out your salvation. Because arguing and complaining is evidence that we truly don't love God. We're only obeying out of a sense of duty. That, that sense of love is not there. I believe Paul is saying we shouldn't be acting like unsaved people. If God has done a redeeming work in us, we shouldn't be acting like the world because that is going to hinder the progress of the gospel. Gospel progress happens when people observe our contentment in the Lord, the joy that we have. It doesn't mean that we find joy in our hardships, but we rest in the knowledge and the, and the, and the reassurance that, that God is at work. He has a plan and a purpose even in the difficult times. And when those times of joy do come, we share those as well with excitement to the world around us. Paul goes on to say in verse 15 that our, our really our witness is at stake. He says, You may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Listen, folks, if we grumble, if we complain, if we dispute, if we take issue with one another as non-Christians come into our assembly, they're not going to be attracted by that. That's going to turn people away. That's going to hinder the progress of the gospel. And believers in this assembly will leave if that's the type of environment that we have. And I don't think Redeemer has that. We've been attending here for three or four months now as a family, and we've experienced nothing but joy and contentment in the Lord in God's people as we have been here. A positive witness for the gospel, gospel proves God's word. Paul tells us to be blameless. What Paul is not saying is that we must be sinless, that, that we have to have no sin, but we need to be blameless, meaning when we sin, we quickly confess those things. We confess those things to the Lord. We confess those to other people if we've transgressed against them so that no one can point a finger at us. No one can speak ill of us. Paul says that we should be pure. In other words, not weakened by sin. Our holiness is not diluted with worldliness. Again, Paul was speaking to the Christians at Philippi, and Philippi was a Roman colony, but it was situated in Greece. And so there were many idols, many gods, not unlike our context. We live in a crooked world. And apart from gospel progress, apart from God working through us individually and corporately as a church, we're going to be like that world. We're going to assimilate to the world. But living, in pure, living pure and blameless proves that you are allowing God to work in your life. It gives evidence that God is at work. And God working in your life makes you a light to the world around you. It makes you an effective witness. It's, un, it's unnatural. People notice when they see Christ in you and the contentment and the joy that you have and how you handle difficulties of life. Verse 16, again, the progress of the gospel doesn't happen just because we're present, not just because we are lights, but that we give out light. People are impacted by the gospel when they observe what we are doing. And doing is the how you are working out your salvation. 
you and I appear as lights in this world when we hold fast the word of life. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. That phrase, holding fast, it appears about 16 times in, in, the, in the New Testament. And it means to hold firmly and to hold forth. To hold firmly and to hold forth. Hold firmly means to cling to, to identify with. So we cling to Christ. We identify with his word and with truth. I'm guessing we probably do a pretty good job of that. The holding forth might be more of a challenge for us. That means we are offering truth. We are offering the word of God to others. Let me ask you this introspective question this morning. On a scale of 10, 1 to 10, how, would, how well are you holding forth the word of life? Offering truth of Christ and his gospel to those around you. How well are we offering the truth of Christ as a church? Well, I've got good news for you. If you don't know where to start, get involved in local outreach. We have a ministry here at Redeemer Presbyterian Church where you can join with other believers and work out your salvation, offering the truth of the gospel to people in our community. Paul says the day of Christ, Jesus' return, is coming. And he will not be ashamed because he offered to many the word of life. He wrote to the Romans, Romans chapter 5, 16, Those saved by our influence are our acceptable offerings to God. He also wrote to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.20, God glories in us as we present his trophies. So I would say that gospel progress exalts Jesus and glorifies God as many people worship him. So we're to work out our salvation. We're to prove our salvation. And finally, Paul says that we're called to rejoice in our salvation. Verse 17 even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Paul humbled himself that God would use him to strengthen the faith of others. Paul was living out the things he admonished the church in in, in verses 3 and 4 that I read. A drink offering was a supplemental offering to the main offering. He refers to himself as a drink offering because he was joining with the living sacrifice of the Christians at Philippi. He made it clear that they were sharing in one another's sacrificial work. I can tell you, anytime I've gone on mission around the world, Europe, Asia, Africa, my relationship with those I serve with has grown stronger. Sure, I had a connection with those other Christians going out because we were of like mind, like faith. We were there for the same purpose. But as we served others on the mission field, as we met challenges, as we experienced joys, we were doing that together. And I always have a special connection, a more special connection with those individuals upon returning from serving together. And I will say, church, this can happen to you at Redeemer. It can be children's ministry, local outreach, serving in a community group, hospitality, whatever area of ministry you choose. When you serve alongside someone else, your connection to them is going to increase. Your relationships are going to 
flourish. There's a unity that God gives us together. Gospel progress brings about unity as we work out our salvation together. And then finally in verse 18, Paul's service to others brought him joy. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Church, if, if we do not find joy in serving others, that should be a red flag to us. Do I have the mind of Christ? Do I appreciate God's grace towards me? Let me encourage you this morning. If you're saved, put yourself in a position to serve others. God will sanctify you to enjoy serving. He will use your service to bring others to himself, certainly bringing them joy. Gospel progress brings you joy as you work out your salvation. I believe there's many points of application in the text this morning, but let me remind you of just one thing. Beloved, if you are saved, your life was bought at a price, the highest price, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Work out your salvation by living as a light that dispels darkness right here in Charleston. And I'll leave us with these words from our Lord Jesus as he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the grace of salvation that you have offered to each and every one of us in this room. Thank you for the grace to receive it. Lord, I pray that the words of Philippians chapter 2 would convict us and also embolden us, that we would understand and embrace that working out our salvation is our living act of sacrifice towards you. It is a form of worship towards you, bringing you glory and honor. Father, I pray that as the watching world sees us living out the Christian faith, it would be something that they want. That they would be intrigued by a faith that is content during life's ups and downs. A faith that has trust in a holy God who has power and dominion over everything in this world. Father, I pray that you will bless us now as we work out our salvation simply in partaking of the Lord's Supper. As we do this together, this is a means of grace by which we work out our salvation as we humble ourselves before you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.